Welcome, fellow lighting nerds and friends, to another episode of The Light Files, the lighting industry's podcast, powered by the Lighting Showroom Association and hosted by me, Lisa Bartlett. Uh, Happy Tuesday, if you're listening on Tuesday, or happy whatever day of the week it is. Just a reminder that the podcast does show up in your podcast feed every Tuesday morning at 5 a.m. Eastern Time. And I'm so delighted for all of you that subscribe to the podcast on your favorite podcasting platform. And I'm always happy to um, to talk to y'all and hear from y'all. Please follow the podcast on uh, social media at Light Files, um, or you know, just message me any old way you can find me because I love getting your comments and feedback. So thank you so much for that. Um, speaking of comments and feedback, I had interesting feedback from a customer recently that caused me to, uh, revise my business's return policy. (laughs) So, um, I wanted to chat a little bit about that in this episode. So basically what happened was I did set up, um, a sales channel from my, uh, website to um, a a data feed to um, Facebook and Instagram. Um, Just a little tip, if you um, are a Lights America customer, again, I don't, ExoLights probably offers a similar product. I'm just unaware of it. But if you're a Lights America customer and you use their Data52 platform, you can also create a um, social media shopping feed. Um, it has some pros and it has some cons for sure. So, um, maybe I'll talk more about that on a future episode. If y'all let me know that you're interested, but basically I had, um, you know, I have this feed set up to, you know, catalog our products and show them on, uh, Facebook and Instagram. Uh, and I had a customer make a purchase and then, uh, they wanted to make a return. And so they went to, you know, as they were directed to the pacelighting.com website and our return policy, and they really keyed in on this like statement I had about product being in stock or not. And they got real down a rabbit hole frustratingly (laughs) of whether that meant the product was in my warehouse stock or somebody else's warehouse stock. And she went on and on about how it was misleading and everything else. So, you know, just one of those situations that you deal with with customers and you have to find a way to work things out, which um, we did. I don't know how satisfied she was, but um, in the end, the wholesale ended up being a, a, at a loss to my business too. So it's not like anybody came out of the transaction feeling amazing. Um, those just happen sometimes. And uh, I just don't love it. I wish they didn't have to happen, but they just seem to. Uh, especially when you're trying to navigate this online world and selling potentially to a customer outside of your market area. But anyway, so she did bring up, I will call it a semi-legitimate question of wording of our return policy. So I decided, um, well, maybe it's some time, it's time to take a harder look at that return policy and bring it all up to date because I realized that I don't think I've updated it since, you know, pre COVID. So 
probably two or three years ago was the last time I updated the return policy. And uh, well, it was time to take another look, <laughs> especially with this customer's feedback so that um, I could be sure I wasn't leaving myself open to another transaction like this where everybody just left frustrated and nobody left happy. And I certainly didn't make money and she wasn't happy with the end result and you know how it goes. So I want y'all to know that the way I do my research on return policies is I go to your websites. <laughs> so um, I highly recommend it. It's very helpful. Um, if you know a few showrooms that you know you really appreciate their business model or how they operate, I find it to be very insightful to go to their websites and read some of their policies, like a return policy, and see you know what you can there that might work for your business. You know, the, I say it all the time. The beauty of our independent businesses is that we can all do what works best for our particular structure. Um, but there is a lot of area of overlap and where we can, you know, learn from one another without it being, you know, competitive or nasty or any of that. So I, um, have kind of a short list of, uh, lighting showrooms that I think are really doing an amazing job in their market areas. So I went to your websites and I looked at your return policies <laughs> so that I could see, you know, what maybe I already had covered in mine, or maybe a situation had come up for that showroom that hadn't yet happened to me. And they had already written in something to their return policy that might preemptively cover me for a situation that I haven't even dreamed of it happening yet. Um, because that happens <laughs> like, Oh, I didn't even know that was a thing that could come up, but it did. So, um, if you can preemptively cover any of your bases. So I found um, a lot of consistency amongst the return policies that I, you know, peeped in on on websites, which I think is a, a good sign overall. It means nobody's doing anything like wild and crazy and potentially um, making it, you know, more difficult to deal with the the cost of a return. You know, if somebody's over here it, Amazoning it up, um, it can, can be difficult to compete with that. So. I saw a lot of consistency. The biggest inconsistency I found was in uh, the time span that's eligible for a return. So I saw everything from 30 days to 60 days to 90 days um, as eligible for a return. Um, I thought that was interesting. I think I do understand why you might give a longer time frame. Um, I went with the shortest time frame, um, and I did, you know, it, but it's worded like from receipt of the product. Um, so it's like you got a month from when it arrives to get it unboxed to, to decide. So, um, but I did see up to 90 days, which I thought was really interesting. And I can see some merit there. That could be a real selling point that you allow up to 90 days for a return, especially given, uh, market you know, pressures where sometimes finding an electrician and getting them booked can take up to a month or more to even make happen. So I did see some wisdom there. So I thought that was a really interesting uh, way to structure it. I did note, and I'm happily noted that almost every 
return policy I read required that uh, fixtures not be installed. I think for a while there, there was some sort of a a push, or maybe it was just in my own brain, where uh, we should take back fixtures that had been installed at some sort of like 50% restocking fee or whatever. But almost unilaterally, I didn't see one exception in the dozen or so websites I looked at Um, that all returns were predicated on the fixture not being installed. So if you're looking at revamping your own return policy, go ahead and just write that in there. If it's not already, you know, fixtures can't be installed uh, or, you know, modified in any way or wires cut, twisted, whatever. So I think we're all pretty much on the same page with that, and um, rightly so. Um, I The biggest area of discrepancy I found across the board was the restock fee question. I've seen all manner of restock fees uh, listed. I've seen 20%, I've seen 25%, I've seen 30%. Um, I've seen no restock fees. Um, so we are, as an industry, not quite sure what to do with that restock fee <laughs> uh, conundrum. Um, and I get it. Like, I struggle with it too. I think if it's like brand new in the box, why should I be charging a restock fee? That makes me less appealing to do business with than somebody that would just fully give you your money back for returning something brand new. So, it's uh, it's a little bit of a catch, but I understand from the business administration side why so many of us have the restock fee on there. And I've I've harped on this before, y'all. You know, I think restock fees for brand new in the box returns to a manufacturer uh, as long as the showroom is paying the freight. I think they should go away. Uh, It just doesn't make any sense to me why they exist, but they still do exist. So it's definitely a business question of what, what should you do? Should you cover that expense that you know you're going to incur uh, by trying to return a product to a manufacturer that you know you're going to get a restock fee on? Or do you just, you know, like, hey, we're going to try to do the best we can, get the right product, you know, right off the bat, not try to minimize mistakes. Um, But there's still always going to be some level of remorse returns and you can't, um, you can't make those go away. It could, you could have given the best lighting advice to the customer. They get the product and they still decide it's not what they want. Or, you know, what I have happened, and I'm sure y'all do too, is sometimes I feel like people, um, maybe outspend their budget a bit and then they want to return and get something that costs a little less because they felt like they went over their budget and they didn't see by the time the product arrived, maybe they've decided they didn't see the value in spending that much any longer. Um, if somebody's doing their renovation on their own without a designer, um, I see that happen more often than I would like. So I'm going to tell y'all my solution for this restock conundrum. I would love to hear your solutions. I'm not saying this is the right way, but it's the best thing I could land on because I do, um, I don't want my business to suffer because of, uh, you know, restock fees being applied. Um, I also don't want to punish my customers for how the administration of the lighting industry is set up, which I think is kind of outdated and needs <laughs> some revamping, but y'all have heard me say that before. So sorry. <laughs> so what I offer, what I've decided. Okay. So we're going with the has to be original brand new in the box to return. Fine. If you want full credit, 
I will issue full in-store credit for any return that is eligible and brand new in the box. If you don't want in-store credit, like if you're not like, I just made a mistake, the size is wrong, I just want to reselect. If you don't want in-store credit, then you can get your money back immediately, you know, the same way you paid. Uh, But I do do, I call it a return shipping fee, and I dropped it down to 20%, um, which covers most things, not all things, you know, the restock fee and the shipping charges, but it heads me in a better direction than otherwise might have been. So because it's always kind of lost on the customers about who pays shipping costs. And, you know, sometimes when you go to, I find myself when I go to explain this to customers, like why our policy is the way it is, their eyes just glaze over because they don't really care. They do not own lighting showrooms. So they don't particularly care (laughs) about the terms of sale that I'm bound to as a distributor. (laughs) They just want to know if they're going to get their money back. And so I've found that offering that full in-store credit for remorse returns usually makes everybody happy. They get full credit for their product. They get to reselect. I will, I probably shouldn't be as flexible as I am, but I will be flexible on like if they reselect and spend less money, sometimes we'll just go ahead and refund them the difference. You know, I'm not trying to make enemies. <laughs> I want customers to come out with a positive experience and do some great word of mouth and all of that. But it is definitely like uh, a thoughtful thing. <laughs> like I know that when we do that, it's costing us money. But uh, I'm just trying to make the best decision for the longevity of the business and keeping customers happy. Um The big thing that I've encountered is we've even done any amount of online sales, um, especially if they're outside of your trade area. So I think a lot of us, your online sales do tend to be in your trade market area. So your standard like in-store return policy works just fine. But if you do end up selling online outside of your territory, things do get a bit trickier because there's the whole question of, you know, who pays for shipping charges. And this kind of goes back to, um, the similar issue of labor charges and not being warranted, you know, like, okay, so you get a new fixture, but the labor isn't warranted. Yes. You have to pay the electrician to come out again and do this, which y'all know always goes over like a ton of bricks, <laughs> especially as it's gotten harder to get an electrician, especially as it's become more expensive to hire an electrician. It's still something that's really challenging. I don't see any reason for that policy to change from the industry side, but it is always one of our least favorite conversations to have in the showroom. I do find the the quicker you can identify that this is going to be the case to a customer, the better. That way they have an expectation of what's going to happen and they don't get frustrated that they're, you know two weeks into the RGA process and find out that they're going to have an additional labor bill. Just disclose it as soon as you can seems to be the best way to make people understand that labor is not covered under warranty. But shipping costs are a thing. So this is like a neat little trick that Amazon does. Like even if your product is eligible for return on Amazon and you go to return it and create a shipping label and it emails to you or whatever you do, Um, often the cost of that shipping is, you know, depending on how the reseller operates on the website, 
often the cost of that return shipping is deducted from your return. But this is like such a seamless process that I think people don't always identify that it's happening. And plus the rates that Amazon charges for shipping because they have distribution centers everywhere and you're not necessarily shipping across the country, you're probably just shipping across the state. Um, the, the, um, shipping costs are just much lower than like what I would incur to ship something out to Texas or Utah or whatever the case is. So that can be really frustrating that, okay, I bought this. It's brand new in the box. I don't want it. I want to send it back and get a full refund. And I say, okay, um, I can either deduct the shipping cost from your return or ship it back at your own expense. And that goes most people are generally understanding of it, but it can, you know, ruffle a few feathers. But I find it's uh, in today's day and age, and if you are offering any sort of online sales, even if they don't happen that frequently, I do think it's really important to call that out in your return policy, what the what is covered in terms of shipping, you know, charges or not. And I just flat out stated in mind that any shipping charges are not refundable. Um, because yeah, cause it's like labor. <laughs> so, um, let's see the other interesting things I found on return policies that I wanted to, well, we all say if something's a final sale display or close out open box overstock, all of us say no returns on that final sale. Perfect sense. The other thing that I found interesting was a, an exclusion on a return policy for large orders. So this is from a major website that does sell a lot online and has a showroom as well. But the large order exclusion was on a single fixture over $5,000 or an order totaling over $5,000 on multiple quantities of the same fixture. So like if you're doing like multifamily work or whatever, um, I did, um, I did borrow their language on that because I do work in the multifamily world. So I could see where that could be beneficial for me to have that coverage on my return policy. So I just thought that was interesting and made me also think about how we all as showrooms do need to think about who our customers are and uh, how they shop with us and how they interact with us and what other exclusions might you need to put into your own return policy that are unique and maybe slightly different than somebody else's to cover the ways in which you do business in your showroom. So if you're like me and you do a bunch of multifamily sales, giving yourself some protection on you know an accidental multifamily purchase that somebody wants to return everything on might be really, really useful. Um, if that's not how you do business, but you do more custom orders, like definitely calling out that custom orders are final sale and all of that, I think is super, super helpful. And the more clarity we can give our customers, the better. So now every time I've had uh, to work on our return policy, I, you know, and I make sure the staff is fully aware of whatever changes there are. I get their input on the language to make sure that they can read it and have it make sense to them as a potential consumer. Because I don't just want to assume, like, I know what I'm trying to say, but I don't want to assume I'm saying it correctly. So I always like to get other sets of eyes on how the language is on my return policy to make sure I got it right. And that it makes sense to how... Uh, an end user might read it. Um, but yeah, every time I think you run into a situation, it's definitely worth making sure that your return policy is up to date. And then I find it's really handy to just copy and paste that 
link to my returns of sale webpage or my return slash terms of sale webpage and send that to a customer via email anytime we're having a um, just we need to work something out about the return and whether it's valid or not. And then they can see that it's there, it's published, it's black and white, they can read it on their own time. And there's no question of, is this business trying to do anything sneaky or, you know, uh, you know, underhanded, or is this really their policy? So having it there on black and white that they can read and access anytime, I think all it does is just give your business so much credibility. And um, that's worth a lot, especially for online sales or people looking to buy from you that maybe don't have any interaction with your business otherwise. Um, so, you know, they're not like a regular in-store customer. So yeah, that's, I think that, sorry, reviewing my notes here. (laughs) Yeah, I think that's it though. I wanted to just give my two cents on you know, return policy specifically, and then sort of the importance to maybe even every year, um, looking at some of your standard operating policies, like a return policy and make sure they still match with how you're doing business and what the needs of your customers are. I think the, it can be so easy to just stagnate. And this is where my beef with manufacturers and their restock fees has come back to. It seems like they're just pulling the same boilerplate, you know, terms of sale from, you know, whatever pricing sheet that they used in 1995 and putting it on the price guide today, you know, like 30 years later without changing any of the wording and not, you know, no nods to how we currently do business and how different it is. And so I just think it's really important that those boilerplate like kind of procedures, policies get revisited on a regular basis to make sure they're not only just working for you, but working for your customers and not leaving you open to dissatisfaction in any way, shape or form. So I, it was my turn to do that with my return policy. So I wanted to share that with y'all. Um, I do also truly find it very helpful to have a short list of showrooms that I really like how they engage with their customers and showcase their business from a marketing standpoint or whatever the case may be. And I kind of keep them and just check in every now and again and see what things they're working on and their forward facing websites to the consumers. Can that, that can also be really, really helpful, um, just to make tweaks of my own or, Oh, these people see the market heading this way. That's a good idea. Maybe I should think about that myself or whatever. So definitely recommend, uh, snooping around on some other, uh, showrooms return policies or whatever the case may be and getting some handy Intel of your own. (laughs) All right. That's it for this one. Thank you so much for listening. I appreciate you so much and take care.